0: Psalms 139. All right, Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. O Lord, you hymn me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light became, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Where where, uh, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and arbor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.
1: Thank you, Nathan, and thank you, Alan, and Men. That was very uh, encouraging and uplifting. I'm gonna borrow one of these. I'll put it back. I swear. Just some of the words there. Um, I, I don't. I don't think I'd even realized um, until we were singing them. Verse two of the Church is one foundation is straight out of Ephesians four. Did you guys notice that? That's. Obviously, where they got it, elect from every nation, that's kind of earlier in the book, yet one or all the earth, chapter 2, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, communion, to one hope she presses with every grace endued. That is exactly what we've been talking about, and thank you for preparing our hearts through song this morning. I'm just going to go to the Lord in prayer as we begin, and... Uh, we'll dig in here. Father, pray that you would guide my words today. pray that you would uh, guide all of us in our hearts towards you. Um, you are one, and in Christ we are one in you. And as simple of a concept as that is, um, Lord, it's so complex, and there's so much to it. There's so many depths to that as we consider what it means to be united And you, have you as our one head, our one Lord, our one director. Just be with us. Give us one spirit this morning, and uh, let us walk out of here challenged and encouraged, and help them just to see you and not me. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, I want to say thank you, first off, for all the comments and responses um, to the topic that we dived into last week. I got a lot of good... um, feedback from you guys and uh, it's just really neat to see God working uh, in spite of me and see the things that you guys saw in the text or in the topic. Um, Bill um, did a devotion on Tuesday that was just really powerful as a follow-up to this and um, it's just neat to see God working uh, in the midst here. So um, thank you because you guys have encouraged me this this last week. Um I, I know last week we didn't get very far. We're looking at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, if you guys didn't know. Um, we didn't get very far into the text. I realized that. Um, but I really wanted to set this contrast last week, uh, the difference between the two, um, the world's uh, unity, which is really uniting around secular humanism. And really, secular humanism is just a fancy way of saying man is God. It's just the, the modern idol that... Um, goes back to the garden of just uh, you can be god you don't need to listen to god who is he to be your authority and so we live in this anti-authoritarian world around us and so you have that and um and you have it contrasted against um the church um standing out this entity that is seeking to have one mind in christ and be um be this body this bride on earth that has Even though we are the body, it has a head. It has a mind that is controlling it, which is Christ. And um, Paul, being a prisoner of the Lord, and we being prisoners and bondservants of the Lord, make up this body. And so it's it's very, it's really just, it's from a, a Christian perspective, you're rebelling against the worldview that says, I don't need any authority. We say, I rebel against that. I need an authority. I know I need an authority. It's God, and I'm okay with that, and you should be too. Um, It's that simple and and really kind of we talked about a little bit last week This worldview around the world is starting to um, it's it's creating an incredible opportunity because it's collapsing Um, The this trust in every man doing what's right in his own eyes Historically has never worked out and it's not working out today either the world is um, Really coming up against things where we say oh everyone has your own opinion We should all be able to dwell in unity and equality, and we all get to believe what, I be- what we believe and respect, which is great until our beliefs collide. And suddenly you have cultural things colliding and things, and it just doesn't work for everyone to do what is right in their own eyes. So we as a church stand against that, and we swim upstream, and we do it by the submission to, um, to the art our, our head. Now, um, this last week, uh, I kind of... Deviated out and listened to a couple of podcasts. I hadn't listened to before and just kind of looking at a couple things and some YouTube videos And I was struck by um, It's nothing new to me, but at least it's the ones I guess God led me to the increasing po- Polarizing of our world as well and how it's becoming more and more um, Whose side are you on and this this question that comes down and it's in secular but it's also in the church, and it's coming more and more as we um, look at issues. Um, these, these really pressing questions come down where people seem to get more antagonistic and even violent behind pick a side, pick it now. It's either my side or theirs, and that's the world we live in. And I was thinking about how, how odd this is, um, or where does this come from? And I do think it comes back to the same thing we've been talking about. The world wants to, and we want to, unite around almost anything besides God. And it's really easy to do. And, and we grab something to center around, and we grab something to be unified around, and it's just, you get fired up, and the emotions that God has given you to be passionate about end up getting directed into that. And so we're seeing more and more of this polarizing as people try to pick sides and things. Um, I was again trying to look at where this came from and and god brought to mind the passage in james um so if you'll turn there real quick i think it's just it's briefly good and and i'll kind of show you why and how it ties into what we're going to look at today Um, james chapter 3 i was thinking of the verse which is actually chapter 4 verse 1 which says what causes quarrels and fights Um, and i was looking that up but i decided to look at context, this is always a good idea, so I went back to verse 13, and we read this, James chapter 3, verse 13, uh, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And he goes on, which we won't do. We're not preaching out of James 3 today. But I did see this as a contrast to the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that, as a church, frankly, we've been buying into a lot. And I think a lot of the animosity we see in a lot of these divisions comes down to a wisdom that is, as I see it here, selfish ambition. It's based in jealousy, selfish ambition. Um, It's not this peaceable, humble submissive one. And again, back in, in Ephesians chapter 4, as we saw last week, that's one of the first starts of this unity. The signs of walking worthy is that we are walking with humility and gentleness, bearing with one another in love. So this, I think, is one of the reasons for the polarizing we're seeing is um, people basically thinking they're wise and, and setting themselves up in, in a kind of wisdom that doesn't match this. And I think that's uh, at the core of it. What we're going to look at as we look at this unity of the Spirit and how it looks like submitting to one another, and it looks like gentleness and things, that is, as James called it, good wisdom. It's the right wisdom to be pursuing. So that's one reason I think that we need to look at. The other reason I think why these, these things uh, come, I've already kind of talked about, but just that idea of uniting around almost anything, it seems, besides Christ. And we have to be on guard against that. It's easy to find common ground. Um, around careers, around parenting, around ethics, moral issues—you name it—and it seems when we talk with one another, and what our friendships even and our close unity is based on, is quite often those things. And just check yourself: the relationships you have, what are they based on? What makes you good friends with so and so? You know, is it is it your relationship with the Lord, or is it politics, or is it social justice issues, or is it you fill in the blank? Those things, for some reason, become easier for us to do. We have to get back where our unity is based in Christ. So this is where we come to in Ephesians, and this is what we're looking at um, and what it looks like to walk worthy of the Lord. Um, I, I'm going to warn you that today, some, some days um, as a speaker, we just um, we were able to do like a 30-minute 30 sermon, 35, it's good. Some days we're, able to, um, we're supposed to, and then we just go over, Today, I'm asking you guys to be patient with me because it's probably gonna be a longer one. We're probably gonna go 45, 50 minutes. And that's, um, that's intentional, so you know. And the reason is, is because we're, we're digging into, I'm gonna to try to give a very high-level overview of a topic that could take semesters to go through in school, all right? and, which is quite an undertaking. So I'm, I'm gonna ask you guys, if you would, um, bear with me in patience today as we go through. We're gonna dig in deep here on a topic. Um, that, that I think is very foundational to this, um, this, uh, this passage. And I'm going to warn you too, we are going to deviate out of the text into a topic. Um, and that's intentional. I'm not rabbit trailing. This topic that we're going to look at is going to be foundational to how we view this text, and I'm hoping that it's foundational for how we go through the rest of the book. So we are going to be kind of in a little bit more of a classroom-ish setting today. And I'm just letting you guys know that ahead of time, so you don't think Derek's just off the rails. Um, However, if I go off the rails, please tell me afterwards. Uh, Standing up could cause a little bit of confusion. Um, So what we're talking about and what we're getting to is unity of the Spirit. That's where we left off last week, right? Unity of the Spirit, what's that look like? And how do we get there? We saw and we sang this morning all these aspects of there's one God, one body, one Spirit— one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, 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 one. We talked about how we are one in Christ, and Christ is one with the Father, so we're kind of united in this Trinitarian logic that blows our minds, and it's supposed to, because that elevates God above us and helps us be in awe and wonder of him. That's okay. So this idea of being one is founded in the Trinitarian God, and that's the basis that he's working out of here when he talks about, hey, there's all these ones, and as a result... You're supposed to be one. To get to the point where we have one mind, we have one head, and we're following that. And as this body, and even I would go as far as saying the church on earth has one vision, which is from the head, is not an easy task. We're 2,000 years in the making of it, and we still haven't, I don't think, quite got there. Um, there's a sovereignty side you could go down that god's doing what he wants regardless and that is true as well but this idea of christ praying in the garden um let them be one as i am as we are one and um, that's the vision for the church is not an easy task to be one in the spirit takes work in fact it takes discipline and just like if you guys were to run a marathon Or even you want to run at all you're not going to go out tomorrow morning if you haven't been running and run a four-minute mile or you're not going to be able to run a marathon or in my case three miles um, if you haven't been running you have to get there you have to work your way up if you want to lift a certain amount of weight if you want to be able to have a certain amount of endurance you have to condition you have to train for that that is physical formation And what we're going to talk about today, this topic that I want to introduce to you, which again is miles deep, is called spiritual formation. And looking at spiritual disciplines and how they form our spirit. And really create uh, something that we can grow closer to the Lord. Okay, Um, I'm going to say on the onset, um, most of this is not my wisdom. I'm passing along things that I have learned. A lot of it has come from... Um, writers like Dallas Willard and a few others. Um, Dr. John Coe has been very influential. He's a professor at Biola University. teaches on spiritual formation. And um, so I just want you to know that this isn't, this isn't my wisdom. Um, I'm being filled and, and passing it on to you guys and hoping to uh, uh, invite you along on this journey that I've been on. Um, and again, we'll see at the end how it feeds back into Ephesians here. Um, A couple weeks ago, when we were up at family camp, uh, Ryan talked about, Ryan Washburn talked about um, character formation. The need to have consistent godly character and um, how that really is a testimony to the world. And even this last week, um, I saw a couple testimonies even in our body of how that's been playing out. And it is so true. Having consistent um, outward character Um, shines the light of Christ in in a dark world. What we're going to be talking about today is almost like a prequel to that. So I'm not trying to upset that. I'm going back and going, I have to do do all my signs like backwards for you guys. I always do this. I'm going back, that's back, um, before that. And we're going to work forward. Okay, so it's kind of a foundation to lay ahead of time for the idea of moral formation. And we're going to look at what this is, this spiritual formation side of it. Um, again, things that we quite often unite around are moral things, uh, how we run our families or how we view the world. And those aren't bad. Those are what we're naturally drawn to. In fact, this idea of moral formation and character development is sometimes easier for us to talk about. It's always easy for us to talk about on the outward because it's, It's about shaping and becoming and do it. What do I do? What do I do? Give me something to do. And that's what moral formation is all about. Um, I'm going to be looking at spiritual formation. And it's going to sound like I'm pitching the two against each other. But I want you to know that it's for the sake of showing that spiritual formation is actually a a logical step after moral formation. And it's something that you need to progress towards. And there's a reason for it. We'll see in Ephesians when we come back there. Last week when we left off, I I kind of warned you guys that um, this week we'd be talking about this, and I asked you to spend some time with the Lord asking Him about whether you want to go on this journey. Because it is to go deep into your heart and to go on a journey into where the Spirit wants to take you is a journey. And it's something you have to be willing to do. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about the first time you come to the Lord in this. We're talking about going on to maturity. And many of us can go through our whole life without maturing if we're not careful. So I just want to say at the onset, that needs to be something each of you resolve in your own personal time with the Lord that, God, I want to go on this journey. And if you're really understanding what the journey may look like, which I hope at the end of today you'll have a better idea, you might be praying that prayer with trembling because God's not gonna take you on maybe the journey you think it's gonna look like, and it's not possibly gonna be fun. Some of you are already on that journey. Some of you have been on that journey for many years, and I commend you and I learn from you. Um, We all do, that's what the body of Christ does. But you have to be willing to go there. So let's look at the difference between moral and spiritual formation. Moral formation is something that shapes the outside. Um, quite often it's like a quick response to a command. It's something, um, it's times of spiritual, well, I'll say immaturity, but not as a bad way. Like when you're a new believer and you come against a command and you see, oh, I I need to speak truthfully to one another or I need to put off this or that sin. You're just, bam, done, okay, got it. Give me another God. And you're just eating these things up and you're curbing the outside nature. And that's good. That usually comes when you're, you're earlier on in your faith or maybe you've come back to the lord at the first time and that's that's a good thing to have but what quite often happens is you're putting off all those things you're kind of cleaning up the outside of the house but god is saying okay as you grow in your faith i want you to see something i want to start talking about why you sinned not just the fact that you We we dealt with the we cleaned up the outside we painted the outside but actually, there's some dry rot inside, and we need, to, we need to deal with that next. I've been inspecting houses with <laughs> Uche for the last two or three weeks as we've looked at some houses all over the area and looking at dry rot and termites. So there's probably going to be some analogies that come out of that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, there's these ideas of God wants to go deeper, not just fix the outside. He wants to go deeper inside. Um, now, spiritual formation, then, is that journey. It's where God takes us and he says, okay, let's go down inside, let's go down, let's start working from the inside out. And when God does this, he's going to engineer circumstances in your life that actually bring sin out. Again, I said, this may not be a fun journey. It's not going to be a fun journey because when you start seeing this, God is actually now, um, he's not just dealing with the sin and cleaning up the outside. He's, He's actually going to intentionally engineer circumstances in your life or allow them that bring sin out. And that may be very humiliating. Now, if you're in the moralist camp and you're still in that moral formation only and you're not willing to go on this journey, when that sin comes out, you're going to be embarrassed or angry. You're going to want to push it down. Just stop sinning. Quick confession. Short account of sin. I've got to get back on relationship with God and get it off your chest. Quite frankly a lot of times we do this because we don't like the feeling of guilt. Guilt stinks. We hate it and so we just got we're confessing so quick because we don't want to deal with that. Now, as a believer who's been with the Lord for the for a long time, he may be actually taking you on a journey where he's intentionally bringing that out and he wants you to deal with it. And he's saying, I actually let your life circumstances happen in this way so that I could show you in your heart where, by the way, I know your heart better than you do. There's this little thing and there's a seed of doubt or there's a seed of bitterness or there's a seed of uh, lust that is deeper than you realize and I'm going to engineer some some life circumstances to bring it out and we're going to deal with it. If you keep trying to push those things down, shove them back in, just God, just get them out of the way. They're so embarrassing, I hate that. You're just gonna end in a loop. You're just gonna keep looping. And what you're actually doing is resisting the spirit because he's trying to go deeper with you. He's bringing this stuff to the surface and you're just, oh, get it out of the way. The spirit is trying to root out sin at the core to show you why you reacted in anger or why you spread that half-truth gossip and why it felt so good, why you took a second look at that guy or that girl or why you broke the rules and enjoyed it. Now, for most of my life, I've lived, um, I don't know if, I, if you ever asked me, I would have said this, but um, this idea that sin separates us from God, it is true for the unbeliever this is, I want you guys to get this because this is profound. Sin separates us from God it is not true for the believer. We know that. Romans 8.38 says nothing can separate us. We, but I, I've for a long time had this feeling, oh, well, when I sin, it breaks my relationship with God, and now I've got I've to just confess and do the amount of confession so I'm back to that state. And I get myself in a cycle that God never designed. This is really hard for me to grasp that God, excuse me, that God accepts me for who I am. That doesn't mean he's okay with my sin. No, he knows that I'm a worse sinner than I have a, a clue about. He accepts me where I'm at and says, I'm going to recreate you from the inside. No amount of sin is going to separate you from me. That's done. You can't earn your way back into my favor. I want to purify you from the inside out, though, so stop resisting me. Let's get this going. So we have to start with there. We have to come to this realization that God is fully accepting us because of Christ, not because of us. That's already done, and he wants to recreate us from the inside out. Turn over to uh, Colossians chapter 3. As Jerry has alluded to, and um, many of you know, uh, Colossians is very... There's a lot of parallels between the two books, with the Ephesians, and Colossians three is a very popular um, passage. That um, <laughs> a confession I've tried memorizing like six times in my life, and I get through like verse six and forget it, because I stop memorizing. I'd, if I don't practice it every day, it's like a language. I just my memorization goes out the window. I have a, it's got to be in like the long-term storage. I've never got it there, but. Colossians 3 is so powerful, and if you look and you get into verses 5 through 11, there's all these put-to-deaths, put-off, 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 and then verses 12 through 17 is a lot of put-on, 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 and um, quite often, as a little moralist that we are, we go straight to those passages. We go straight to those and say, okay, what do I got to do? Get this off, get this on, okay, do-do-do-do-do. And we miss the foundation of it all, which is in verses two through three, which is just a couple of verses. So we're like, well, why is it such a big deal? It's foundational. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. This concept is what we've been talking about in Ephesians. We're one with Christ. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We're up there with him. We're seated with him. We have his life if we are there, that is where we first have to identify with. If we're not first seeking his mind, that, this whole concept of seeking his mind is what we're talking about, of going into the heart, of going to a place where his mind is controlling us from the inside out, where his mind is directing us from the inside out. If we don't get that, we're just going to be curbing the outside. We're just going to be whitewashed tombs. And so all these commands that come afterwards are just going to be things that you put on from a moralist standpoint, on the outside without dealing with the heart issue. So we have to get, and if you look, Paul talks a lot, he gives lists like this all throughout the New Testament, and every time you see them, if you actually look, there's something that deals with the Spirit of God, the mind of Christ, or something like that, some verbiage that comes before it, that talks about, that gives a foundation for, before you get into these put on, put on, put off, put off, you've got to get where your heart is united with his. So this is the journey of spiritual formation it's god taking you on a journey where your heart is going to be united and linked with his heart okay let's talk a little bit about this journey some more um god is taking us deep he wants to cleanse us from within and to do that there's two experiences in the christian life at least two that god may use to do this now this is not a new concept spiritual formation it's been around for many many years in in the church and um, it's, it's actually just remarkable today, you know, singing songs that have been written hundreds of years before and, and thinking of, and uniting with those and seeing, oh, the battles that the church was going through a couple hundred years ago are not that different than what I'm going through today. And probably every church has thought they're living in the last days. I'm pretty sure we are, but they thought so too. You know, and and that, the, this concept of fighting against the enemy and and seeking to lay down ourselves and be united with Christ. This has been going on. So the church has been fighting this battle for a long time, and there's ancient writers that wrote about this journey, and they started seeing something, um, two phases in the Christian life that they called consolation and desolation. Now, consolation is this experience that God gives. um, I think in our modern terms, we usually would call this um, when someone's on fire for the Lord, and they're just Pumped up, usually right when they come to the Lord. It's like every verse seems like it was written for them. It just seems like their prayer time is incredible. Every prayer they pray, God's answering. And uh, it's just, God seems like a, he's a breath away. And, and that time, many of you can look at times in your life, you might even be having one right now, where you're on that mountaintop experience. And you're so close to God. And it's just, oh man, this is so good that is spiritual milk it's milk and god gives it as a gift he gives it especially to new believers but sometimes he gives it to those that come back to him sometimes he gives it randomly to us throughout our journey it doesn't always follow a logical process but it's not the normal christian life and if we fall into the trap of thinking it is these are some things that you may see you might start feeling like you always need to get back to that mountaintop to be walking with God. If you're not in that experience right now, you must be distant from God. You'll start to assume that he's not near because of some sin or failure in your life, and you end up in that downward spiral of trying, failing, confessing, not measuring up, and wondering how much good you have to do to get back to that experience. You're going to start looking this is, this is if you're in a moment of consolation sometimes and you think this is supposed to be the normal, we look at others that are going through dry spells and we say, oh, there's something wrong. You, have to have, you must have sin in your life that you need to confess because this is what the normal Christian life should look like is just this milk, frankly. Or you will seek other extra scriptural sources to make you feel that feeling, things like devotionals, christian studies videos podcasts whatever it takes so that you feel that that feeling again all these things i've listed are things out of my life that i've done regularly for most of my life and some of you i imagine can identify with those and that's it comes from this this belief that that mountaintop experience that feeling of being close to god is supposed to be the norm And frankly, it's not. And we're going to see why, actually, even in Ephesians as we look at this. Now, that's consolation. Desolation is the other side. And this is actually more normal. The first time we come against desolation, especially if you're coming out of consolation, you're going to look at it and resist it and think something's wrong. And you're going to try to fight it. And you might even end in that cycle for the rest of your life, trying to get back to consolation desolation is how God takes us deeper into our heart. And it's how, as we're going to see in Ephesians 4, he grows us in maturity as believers. Now there's two ways, at least, that he uses um, that desolation comes. Sometimes he uses physical trials. Trials have a way of bringing things out of us, bring things to the surface, things that you didn't know were there. And these are, these are the harder things of bitterness, of doubt, of wondering, wait, God, why? Why the evil? Why the suffering? Why this kind of suffering? What, doesn't it have an end? Doesn't it have a point? I don't see the point. Um, those things start coming up. And they were buried deep. And, you, and, and usually we look at them and say, well, yeah, but wouldn't everyone? There it is. It's buried. Now, the spirit knew it was there all along. Not catching him off guard. He knew if I put the right kind of pressure on, this is what will come out. He knew, by the way, if he put the right kind of pressure on Job, what would come out. And what came out was pretty astounding. It was good. There were some bad, too. Job got called out on. But in each of our lives, he uses these trials, and he sometimes brings these things out. If those feelings of doubt and and whatever it is that's coming to the surface come out, and you start feeling guilty and the need to just push them down. That's just wrong. I shouldn't be doubting God. I just got to have more faith. It's, it's, It's sin for me to doubt. It's wrong. You are going to end in a cycle that might even end in you losing your faith. It's that severe. Because God is trying to do something where he's trying to bring those things out. And in gentleness, in the way that that only the comforter, the comforter, could do. He brings them to the surface and says, you see this? I want to deal with that. I know this trial's hard, but I'm, I'm more concerned with what's in your heart and purifying you from the inside out. And those are not fun times to be in. Some of you guys have been through very hard ones. Some of you are in them right now. And some of you have some to come. But that is one form of desolation that God brings, uses trials to bring to the surface. Now, some of us, um, and probably more normally, in times of peace and prosperity, when we're not going through trials, that doesn't mean that you're walking closer with God. That's a temptation. You got to kill that. We think, well, if we're we're not going through trials right now, then God must not have anything to purify out of my life. Well, what often happens in times of peace and prosperity, and I think it happens more than any of us want to admit, is spiritual dryness. We come to this point where you pick up the Bible and it's just dry and you pray and it bounces off the ceiling and none of your prayers are answered. It seems like God's completely abandoned you and you're just in this valley. The ancient spiritual writers called this the dark night of the soul or dark nights because you go through plural ones of them. And that walk with the Lord that you look back and you say, oh, those times of consolation, it was so close. I was so close to God. where is he? No answer. For years, maybe even decades, you're in that spot. God is showing you something. He's bringing to the surface some deep-seated, why did you actually love me, Derek? Why did you actually seek after me, insert your name? Was it just for that bottle of spiritual milk? Was it just for the feeling? Was it just for the experience? Was it just for the healing? Was it just for the supernatural? Why were you coming to me? Is it just an experience or do you want me? Any of you who have been married for any amount of time knows your marriage goes through a similar time or times where you go through that early consolation when you first got married and then after a while it's, but do you want me for me? Are you, did you marry me or the experience? It's the same way with our relationship with God, and he takes us into this, and he allows us these dark nights of the soul to show us the depths of where we need to see that we desire him for himself. Some of us have been great little moralists for most of our, most of our lives. I'll put myself in that camp. Um where we kind of come to this point where we're in a dark night, maybe, and we think, well, I don't feel the Lord very deeply right now, so all there is for me is to just keep cleaning up my act and pass it along to others. And God does want you to live a righteous life, and that's going to be an outcome of his relationship, but he's deeper than that. He's going into your heart to say, do you want me for who I am? If, we're, if you're in a dark night, and like I said, I think, frankly, I was, um, this is kind of just open vulnerability, I suppose, but I've been in a bit of a dark night for a while now. I don't know how long of my own, and a lot of it has felt like sometimes I'm fabricating things, or, or my walk with the Lord is, um, it's just it's one-sided, and um, maybe that's not something you want to hear from the pulpit. And you hope that the guy up here is always in a state of consolation. But I I haven't been. And I've questioned. And I started, I realized I was fighting this. I was resisting the spirit and what he's been bringing to the surface. So I started, okay, I'm going to start writing them down. And there's some ugly stuff that went in my diary. What did you show me today, God? Okay, wow. Didn't know that was there. Start writing them down, and you start seeing these things, and you come, and you start saying, okay, Spirit, what are you revealing? This is the journey that God wants to take each and every one of us on, and if you can't understand that, if you don't see that, if you keep trying to repress it, you're going to end in a loop. Now, what do we do when those things come to the surface? Maybe you're now at the point of, okay, okay, I'm ready for this. Let's go on this journey, I think I'm okay with that. Maybe you're saying, I've already been there. God's been taking me on this. I've been seeing a lot of crud come to the surface. All right, what do I do with it? This is where the practice of spiritual disciplines come in. And earlier I talked about training for a marathon or training for whatever physical thing you want to do. This is the spiritual side of it. As those things come to the surface, you create a spiritual discipline that works on it. And, and you focus on, okay, we're going to do this. Spirit, you brought this to the head. You brought this to my mind. Your confession looks more like this. God, yeah, I, I see that. That was bad. Instead of this, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Let me just, I'm sorry. Please accept me again. A lot of times that's how my confessions look like. But this kind of confession says, wow, Spirit of God, thank you for showing me that. That was embarrassing. We need to deal with that, right? And you start working on it and then he says okay let's develop some spiritual disciplines to do it you're not just going to hear a command to stop gossiping and instantly go i'm done gossiping wow thank you thank you preacher thanks for saying that now now it's gone it it doesn't work that way You, you hear the you hear the command you see the command you see the goal and god is going to say let's work on this together let's do some weight training You've got to have the endurance to be able to, next time that comes up, fight it. Let's, so, example, you have a stressful day at work, maybe a stressful week, month, year, whatever. You come home and finally it's too much. You snap, you blow at the kids or your wife. Okay? Right then, you do have a responsibility, by the way, to confess to your kids that was wrong. It's the same thing as what you're going to do with God. God... That was embarrassing. That was wrong. That was obviously sin. You need to do that with your kids. You need to say, kids, what you just saw was not a godly example. That was wrong. Okay, that is important. But it doesn't end there. You don't just push it down and say, next time, I'll do better. Okay, kids, next time, I'm going to try better. All right, that's not the next step. The next step is to look and say, okay, God, thank you. Yes, you say, thank you for stressing me out. Thank you for engineering my life in a way that I am so stressed out right now, I snapped. Because you showed me something in my heart that I didn't know was there. I thought I was over my anger, and now, guess I'm not. The fact that I justified blowing up like that, well, shows that I'm not over it. So thank you, spirit. How do we deal with it? And you set an intention of saying, we're gonna work on this. Now, maybe your spiritual discipline ends up looking something like I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day um, just praising and thanking God for all the good things in my life instead of complaining. Maybe it's memorizing a passage that deals with this. You fill in the blank. The spiritual discipline will probably look differently for each of you, but it needs to be a regimen, something that you develop as a habit of your heart so the next time your life gets stressful and the kids are screaming and bouncing off the walls and the house is out of control, you don't react in that way. You react with, oh, man, I trained myself to say, thank you, Lord. Where did that come from? Oh, you developed a muscle for it. It's just that simple. You train yourself. We don't get there easily. It's like you can't run a four-minute mile when you walk out the door tomorrow. You're not going to get there easily. Spiritual disciplines take work if we're going to be conditioned. But they are how we get to this. There's one other warning that it's not from me. Again, this is from uh, Dr. John Coe that I'll pass along. So I'm using his wisdom, not mine. But I think it's good. In the next week, you're probably going to hear between 5 and 20 commands, either from reading the Scripture or someone or a radio or something. You're going to hear something from Scripture that says, you need to work on this. When Jerry preaches, he's going to give you 30 of them because he's going to be in the passage where we're talking about all this. You need to do all this stuff, right? So you're going to hear commands every week. And if you're in the moralist camp, you're going to look at them and feel condemned. You're going to say, oh, man, I just, I do not do that. I need to work on that. Oh, I need to work on that. Oh, man, I'm such a bad person. If you're in this spiritual formation, you're saying, okay, every time one of those comes up, you're going to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing me what a vile, wretched person I am in my heart. Let's deal with it. Thank you you haven't rejected me. Thank you you've paid for that. And now we're going to go forward to purify those things out. And what you need to do, this is the wisdom from John Co— you cannot work on more than one spiritual discipline at a time. You'll get yourself really confused. You're going to start trying to focus on a regimen of thanksgiving while battling lust and while battling anger and while all these things. and, And pretty soon you're just going to get, I'm confused, I'm feeling schizophrenic, whatever. The Spirit wants you to take. It's okay to take. You can prioritize them. Make a physical list if you have to. Work down through each of these. And, as, and pray and say, Spirit, keep reminding me of those things. Thank you for showing me that I'm greedy. Thank you for bringing that to the surface. Keep reminding me on that. And when I'm done with this aspect of, being, of, of struggling to give thanks, I'm going to work on that. And this is a spiritual discipline I'll do. It's very actually practical. It's just like weight training. You find a way. You can't work out your triceps and your quads and your thighs and everything at the same time. They make machines, I think, that do that, but it's pretty like the guys on there aren't actually doing it. So Um, you have to discipline yourself to go through one at a time. So that is kind of a very high-level overview of spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines. If you guys are interested in that, dig into it because there's so much, so much information. There are some disciplines that are out there that have been practiced even for centuries through the church that are good. I will say this, as you start looking into spiritual disciplines, uh, given my background background and upbringing and, and just thoughts, some of them look very liturgical or Catholic. And you, you got I'll, I'll say just a word of caution. Some of them started good. And some of them, when they turned into something that people are doing to earn God's grace, then it became a work salvation. So, don't fall into that trap. Some of these, you know, they might look like a liturgy or something. Like you're just going to spend, I think one of them, you spend like 15 minutes, just read, take a verse and just repeat it in your head. Just repeat it in your head until it really sets in. That, you're saying, oh, that, sound, that sounds like you're doing some works for salvation or something. You know, it's just moral. It's just spiritual training. Okay? And, and look at them. Practice them. Work on them. But you can look. Scripture memorization, of course, is one of the greatest ones that we know. Um, learning to pray without ceasing. Well, set up reminders. We can set up spiritual disciplines in our day in so many ways that, um, you know, reminders on your phone or something. Whatever it takes. Um, get creative with it, but be open to what the Spirit wants to do and where He wants to take you. So what does this have to do with unity of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4? Coming back, Okay. The Spirit wants to go deep into our hearts, create a new man from the inside out. And he doesn't want us just to shove the old man down. He wants to eradicate him entirely. He wants to recreate us from the inside out. Okay? I told you guys this was going to be long, but we're getting there. Some of you guys are yawning. Bear with me. Typical uh, episode of TV is like, what, 50 minutes, right? I figure if I can get an episode in, then we're, we're good with the modern uh, attention span, but maybe not. Um, Okay, so bear with me. We're almost there. Don't just shove the old man down. He wants to work with him. When we are a group of people doing this, this is what the church looks like. We have a unity of spirit because we're all in this group. We're sitting here. And if, if we walk through the doors and you know everyone in here is on the same journey, we're all open to the spirit taking us deeper, then when we see trials in each other's life, we're going to look at them a little different. Quite often when we see trials in each other's life, out of compassion and love for each other, we just want to pray that the trial's removed. And I get that. I'm there too. I look at at suffering even in this body and and outside and say, why? Why, Why this long? Why is it still going? And it's not wrong to pray that it's removed. But I think that the first thing we need to pray for is kind of what Paul was praying when he prayed for them that they would understand the depth of the gospel, that they would understand how big a deal their salvation is, and that, and that they would really wrap their mind around this idea that the Spirit is bringing things out. I don't know what God's doing in every life here. And if, if you're going through a, a physical trial, um, I'm not sure exactly why. There's not always an answer to that. But God may be doing a work. And, and how we pray for each other is going to be influenced by that. So when you see trials, maybe the first prayer that you need to pray is, God, whatever you are, are doing on their journey, do it well. Like just, just do your work, bring it to the surface, and bring them deeper with you. And, and for the spiritual dark nights in here, many of you, that's not something we want to always confess and be open about because when we walk through the door quite frankly, we put on a pretty good veneer. Even those of us that have known each other, you guys have known each other for decades. Um, Maybe that makes it harder. Maybe it makes it easier. I'm not sure. Um, But to put on a veneer of, yeah, I'm in consolation. Yeah, like, I'm walking so close to the Lord. To walk through the door and say, man, he seems so far away. I just, I don't even know if I'm saved. What's Our first? In, our instinct is usually, whoa, whoa, hold on, let's go to the scriptures. Instead of, oh, that's so good. It sounds like God's really doing a work in your heart. I'm going to pray for you this week. We need, we need to be that. We need to be to that point where God is going deep into our hearts and we see that. And that's what the church ends up looking like is a body of believers that are doing that together. Now, I told you we're going to get back into Ephesians chapter 4, so go there. And kind of like I said, I, I don't know if I warned you of this or not, but when I go through Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 in these three weeks, I'm not necessarily going through a progressive approach. I'm kind of jumping. I'm looking at the block of it and kind of jumping around. So um, to close out today, I want to look at verses 13 through 16, because it really—we're uh, going to get to the middle block there next week. But 13 through 60, I think, really— Um, speaks to this because it shows where this is going and what the point of all this is, what it means to be, when we're unified in spirit, what it looks like. It says, until we all attain the unity of the faith. That was also a phrase in one of the songs we sang this morning. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's what my ESV says. Some of your translations might say something else. Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So this is where this is going. This is where it leads towards, is this, this idea of mature manhood. That really doesn't probably need a whole lot of explanation. It really just means maturity. It means growing up. It means not being children anymore. Think of the pleasures that you had as a child, the things that were fun, the games you played, your your life, which was so optimistic probably as you viewed the world. um, You just get into recess or whatever. You know, for for most of us as a child, you know, being a child, it's just it's fun, right? It's mostly what we would call in this world consolation. All right. Well, you grow out of that. You grow up. I mean, some people don't until they're mid-40s but, or later, but, and, and there's this growing um, extended adolescence. They actually have a name for it, the kids that are eternally riding BMX bikes um, until they're 35, and, and that's kind of the world that we live in. But you're at one point, generally, it's expected you grow up. <laughs> you grow out of the fun stage, and, you, and you, you move on. And it's not that those times were bad, um, and there's not a, it's not even that... As a grown up, we have times when we feel like a child again, right? And there's times when you're going to jump off the diving board. You were just going to do a, a, a cannonball. It ends up being a backflip, backflop. Um, you know, but you just, ah, I'm a kid again. You're know, just freaking out or something. Those times come. It's okay. It's like consolation. Sometimes we have times of consolation, even in our mature life. But by the norm, there's this progression, this linear progression that we're supposed to grow up not just in the world, but spiritually. The next phrase, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, is really astounding. It implies actually the maturity of Christ himself. But think of him on earth and the pattern that he set for us. And and Philippians 2, which Ryan Washburn looked at again when we were there a couple weeks ago. The idea that we are to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. And he gives, in Philippians 2, what that looks like, the humility that Christ exercised. That's what we're going into. It says we're no longer children tossed to and fro. When we're in that immature state, when we're only looking at moral formation, we're going to be like this. And we're gonna find ourselves, going back to the beginning of this, centering around all kinds of other things, around the moral topics of the day, around morality issues or things like this, because from the outside, those are more fun to talk about, moral formation. That's what we're going to find ourselves centering around. And that's going to be where these divisions and these fights and that bad wisdom that James talked about comes from. Right? And it doesn't take uh, a whole lot of thought to see how you end up being tossed to and fro. The contrast is this people that's mentioned here that speak the truth in love, grow into the head more as a result, and become one body. To wrap it up, in a couple weeks, Jerry's going to... Take off in verse 17, he's going to go down through, and he's going to be talking about a lot of this aspect of there's a lot of moral formation-looking things in here. You have to get this foundation we're talking about first. You have to understand um, that as you come to those commands, especially in 25 through 32, and you start seeing those and even into marriage and walking in love, and children and parents, the rest of the book. If you don't see those as the spirit bringing them to the surface so that you can deal with them you're gonna get really frustrated you're just gonna look at them as being moral commands that I need to do and you're gonna really to put it in another way you're gonna be living by law not by grace next week um, as we close this out um, this is, this is the work that I wanted you guys to focus on this week, the spiritual formation, this idea that to be united in spirit, the spirit needs to go inside each of our heart. We all need to be open to that journey. We need to be walking it together and encouraging each other on that journey. The spirit is the one that takes us deep, but he also does something else and he gives us spiritual gifts and they play a specific role in how this works. And that's what we're going to look at next week. And that's kind of right in the middle section here as we look at at those. So, um, Yeah, I think that's probably about as good a place to stop as any. Um, I hope that you guys can, can join in on this journey, and um, I know, it, like I said, it went long today, but um, I hope it gives a good foundation for where we're going with the rest of the book. Let me just close in prayer here. Our Lord, we uh, thank you for the patience you have with us. Even when we Even when I get in these loops of going in cycles and circles of trying to please you, even though I know better, and I know that, um, I know you've accepted us in my mind, but, uh, boy, just that working to try to earn your grace, God, what a trap um, when you've given it all. But, Lord, I thank you that you want to go deep, that you want to bring this stuff out, and I thank you for the crud that is in our heart that you bring out to deal with. Um, and just, Lord, you didn't just save us. You're saving us. What an what a incredible thing. God, just uh, be with everyone here and those that aren't here. Um, be with our children. And be with um, just this whole body as we're a, a testimony in this uh, community and in ours um, wherever we go home to. And let us just shine your light, God, this week as we go deeper with you. In your name we pray. Amen.